Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to Headstrong. My name is Louis Strong and I host this podcast. This is a podcast where I sit down with a number of notable people in the public eye to talk to them about their lives and their careers to understand what the word headstrong means to them. And to me, it means to believe in yourself, to talk about your vulnerabilities and reinforce your self-worth. On this episode of Headstrong is the YouTuber Max Fosh. I sat down with Max to have a chat about how he got into the world that he's in now and also how he comes up with new ideas and constantly generating fresh content for his viewers. We also talked about his anxieties and the lack of structure in a self-employed job like this. So I hope you really enjoy this episode of Headstrong. But first, a quick note from our sponsors, RCK Partners, who specialise in helping UK businesses claim R&D tax relief across the engineering, agricultural and tech space. If you'd like to find out about this valuable source of funding for your business, head over to rck.partners or follow the link in the podcast description below. That's rck.partners. Max, thank you so much for joining me on Headstrong. How's it going? Thanks very much. Yeah, um, excited to be here. Excited to chat about uh, my head, uh, which is very, very exciting. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, for those who are uh, a subscriber who don't necessarily know who you are, how would you define your job title? Because I'm interested to see what you would say. 
Yeah, I think I, I often get I often get described as a prankster, which which I feel like is a slightly which I, I think that has negative slightly negative connotations. Um, I would say that I am I am professionally silly. Um, I think would be the best way to describe my job. Um, I am a YouTuber um, who specialises in making videos that are whacking um, a bit weird, normally big stunt based. Um, so I've done various stunts like I, I, I wrote in massive letters, Welcome to Luton, right next to Gatwick Airport. Um, I ran in the 2020 mayoral elections with the top manifesto point of don't vote for me, um, coming 19th out of 20. Um, I found roadkill and served it to Michelin star chefs. So it's 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 basically um, a a really weird job, but um, one that is just it just gives me license to come up with the weirdest ideas and try to execute them. So if you could reflect on this, say uh, as a young Max, do you think he would go? That's a pretty cool damn job to be having. Yeah, I think I think obviously he would have he would be like like okay that's a thing how great um, but also I was I was a really like goody two shoes when I was growing up and so like I loved the idea of like structure and authority and being told what was right and what was wrong so I don't think I would have I probably would have been quite intimidated by the idea that I have to go out and do things that are slightly um, you know uh, against the against the grain so. Uh, I, I think I, I, the, the, the show-off part of my of my childhood very much would have enjoyed um, what I do now for sure. So that's interesting. So the, what you liked was authority and structure, and that kind of stems from boarding school, which is of course where you yeah. did, did you where you attended. Reflecting on that as an experience, because I went to boarding school as well. When you did you go, did you only go secondary school, or were you at boarding school beforehand? No, luckily I only went in secondary school because yeah. I think going hearing a lot of like stories of, of boys going when they were like seven years old that sounds like a really like a really tough that's, thing to that's do. savage yeah. um but looking back on then okay at, at secondary school boarding school what was that experience like in terms of happiness because it's so full-on and you're mm -hmm. there and you're bred almost to have a work ethic but did you get time i know what it's like as well as well being at an all-boys school you get on with people there's a lot of testosterone flying around there's always this kind of fight for survival almost yeah what was it like for you i think i think happiness is is, is an odd adjective to describe um my time at school now i think it's very easy for one to like leave school and then just like bash on school and be like god it was a, it was a terrible place and um, it was a difficult time. I, I did struggle with my time at, at, at school um, because of what you just mentioned. It's a boarding school. So you've got 70, 80 boys who are living on top of each other who are aged from 13 to 18. And it really is a bit of a fight for survival and learning how to, to get through it. Um, it did teach me a lot. It taught me, right, just get your head down, work hard and uh, you'll, you'll be okay. Like, I, my, my father was a very, very good cricketer. My father was a very good sportsman at the same school, um, like 30, 40 years previously. So much so that like when I was there, a lot of the older teachers would always say, oh, are you, are you Matthew Bosch's son? Are you Matthew Bosch's son? And so um, a lot of my, and, and I wasn't that good at cricket myself, but I, I made myself, I went to a school called Harrow and there was a, there's a, there's a cricket match that Harrow played against Eton every year at Lords which is like the home of cricket, the, uh, the cricket version of Wembley. Um, and my father had played in this, my uncle had played in this, my grandfather had played in this, and I was in the C team. 
Um, and I was thinking, there's no way I'm going to play in this. And I very much remember I was about, like, I remember calling my mum and I hate this place. This is, this is really difficult. And but I thought, no, I'm going to see if I can try and make it into this cricket team to, to, to continue this um, this generation like like tradition, tradition to play in this match. Yeah. And I don't know why I suddenly put so much pressure on this, but I, I did. And um, I remember I then just trained like a madman for like, I was like 15. And I don't know why, but I just, I just, <laughs> I thought, right, let's just turn this into a Rocky montage moment. But with a posh boy from boarding school with a cricket ball, like it's not quite as evocative and, and sexy as the boxing montage. But um, I ended up, I ended up kind of getting into the first team and playing at Lords and playing in this match from kind of nowhere. And that taught me a lot about determination and a lot about like, right. Oh, great. You, you genuinely, if you work hard and you have a little bit of self-belief, you can do this. So that, that, that difficulty that I had at school bred in me, um, uh, an understanding of work ethic an understanding of commitment to whatever something is. So yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say that I, I had a, an incredibly happy time at school, but I had a very formative time at school. Um, and then there's always questions: Would I send my Would I send my son or my daughter to boarding school? I don't know. I think it depends on the person because my sister went to boarding school and she absolutely loved it. She was like, oh, "I'm around my mates all the time." It's like one massive sleepover. It was fantastic. Um, so I think it's it's very dependent on the individual. So do you enjoy the story of the underdog then, in terms of yourself, in terms of liking like enjoying kind of proving people wrong and getting over those hurdles a little bit i think that's that's a lot of the the, why i've gone into the the job that i do um don't get me wrong i've 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 had a a big old safety net to to try these things um but that's why i love youtube and stand-up comedy because it's a total leveler like there is no there's nothing involved there that can give you a leg up um, with with YouTube, you're competing against every single person who's uploading YouTube videos. The best person, like if you if you make good YouTube videos, you will you will get views, you will get success, quote unquote success. And it's the same with with stand up comedy. There's no there's no oh my my dad knows this person uh, kind of thing. In, well, in 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 my experience anyway, if you if you make someone laugh, you make someone laugh. So um, yeah. What was the infrastructure like at school for you if you were having tough days? Because when I was at school, because we're the, we're the same age. And if mental health was talked about when I was at school, I would have said that there was still very much the stigma of, you know, you're at an all boys school. There's a lot of man ups going around and being told to get on with it unless it's really bad, in which case come stay in the sand for a week and have a time out and then get back out there, old boy. Yeah. Yeah, there was there was a lot of um, man up. Uh, it's fine. We, but then what I found really interesting was there was a, there was a community, um, there was a structure when when I was there of everyone kind of knew that there was going to be a you, you had a bad time in your first few years, but the older boys were like, well, we had to do it, so therefore you had to do it. Mm. So it's kind of this this perpetual self feeding vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. Where like yeah we understand that what we ask you to do and again this is not this is not the school I don't want to kind of <laughs> bad mouth school but there was a there was a culture of um, like boys having to do things for older boys like can you go and get my washing that's downstairs or go and get the news my newspaper from over there and if you were like you said no you're like well I had to do it when I was younger so you have to do it and 
that I found like a really interesting and, and bizarre cycle that, that we all found ourselves in. Um, because yeah, everyone was very, everyone was basically acknowledging that what it was, it wasn't, it wasn't nice to be subjected to kind of these feelings of authority from older boys, but I did it, therefore you have to do it. Um, so that was kind of the most obvious thing that I found. And I realized, okay, it's difficult, but all I can do is to be, uh, is to do all my work, do it to a good standard, try and, and make myself a, a model student. Um, because I thought, okay, if I do that, then I will be, I'll be looked after. But then I realized I'll be looked after by the teachers, not the boys. And then you get known as the, 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 the boy who gets on with teachers, teachers pet, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so that was another thing that I, di I discovered. So, so when I first got there, I was like, right, I'm going to hand in my homework and, you know, um, be, be, be the model student. And then I found myself being like, oh, sir, here, here's my homework when, when they'd forgotten and everyone was moaning at me. Oh, for God's sake, Max, why did you meant like, teachers pet why do you mention um and so you having to play that like those relationships off against each other being a model student for a teacher and trying to get your way like to, to enjoy your way through the school but also being on the side of the boys as well i don't think i balanced that particularly well in my early years i think for myself at school i think it was uh finding a community of people a very small group of people you know when you're in a, such a big establishment when there are kind of 250 boys in a year group you know i still think when i left I reckon there were probably a couple of people that I still hadn't met and because I'd never been in a class with them. And mm. that's just actually utterly bizarre when you think about it. But, you yeah. know, you, you find that safe haven of kind of a, your close-knit friendship group who you can rely on and fall back on and just be yourself with, a kind of a safe community if you are having a tough day to go to. And so mine was in the theatre and you'd go see, see everybody and you'd go hang out in, you know, just chill out, be silly. Yeah, um, I think I, I, was, I would probably, I would, trying to protect myself too much that I, I was blind to seeing who that group was for me and what you said that right there the, th the theatre group would have would have been those people for me and I've only kept in touch with two people since I've left school mm. and they were both they were both theatre guys and when I was at school because I was in the cricket gang I I, I kind of I, I, I didn't give those relationships enough time to, to showcase to me that actually these are the people that I, sh I need to be hanging out with because I was in kind of protection mode. I was like, right, I don't massively get on with the cricket lads, but I'm in this group and it gives me an easy time. So I'm going to stick around with these guys when in actuality, I would have had much more fun if I'd spent time with the, the quote unquote weird theatre kids of which I was very much one of. Yeah, absolutely. Now, when you finish school, uh, from what I, my understanding is you uh, had you know not not in a dissimilar way yet again but you kind of had this internship in the city very yeah. much of a following a family kind of not necessarily exactly the family role but you know you go to private school you go to the city and you do this you do that and that's the kind of the route that let's say 90 percent of um <clears throat> former uh people that we went to school with do but did you know straight away that you were like this isn't really for me it's not where i want to express myself yeah, absolutely. Um, and it was it was kind of not baked up by anyone in my family, or, or just just more the structures that of which I was kind of inhabiting was all like, okay, you do school and then you go into the city and, and, and you make loads of money and it's really great and everyone everyone's kind of like loving each other. We you know we have dinners and lunches and big drinks after work. And I got an internship again, totally through nepotism, and I sat there for like a month. And in a in a broken firm, they were buying, selling coal. And genuinely enough, about two days, I remember thinking, 
is this this is it right so we're all we're all we're all aware that this is the thing that we are striving for is this it can i just check there's nothing else there's no other sparkly job that you guys are hiding from me and i'm just sat with the boring guys okay yeah this is it great and i i hated it i absolutely hated it i hated the the drinking culture the the like right after after work let's go get as pissed as we possibly can do um just gonna sneeze Oh, bless you one for you you're going to see the spike of the audience like, <laughs> okay, get rid of that um, I, I kind of I did that for a month and thought right okay this isn't really what I want to do and I had already um, put myself down to do economics and finance at university when I was doing this internship and so like, in my first kind of like week or so I immediately changed it to English literature at university I hadn't done English literature for a level I just wanted to do something that was artsy slightly kind of bloaty uh, in its in its academic rigor which I'm so sorry if you're listening for the English literature department from Newcastle University what a department it was by the way um so uh, but I, I kind of very much jumped on a different train track as soon as I got to university because I wanted to dis- distance myself as much as possible from the quote-unquote traditional route that you find when you go to a boarding school like I went to. Did you find yourself on a traditional route across uh, Thailand, Vietnam and Laos in your gap year? No, I, I actually didn't. I, I worked for Woucher for four, four months um, in, in High Street, Kensington, which, which was a re- that was also great because I was suddenly in an office in like a traditional working office environment where there was the sales team who were from all sorts of different places yeah, around the total. world. And I was just um, the admin guy. Like I was just literally just putting things into a computer for four months. And um, I then went to, I went to South Africa uh, for six months and I lived um, and I, I, I did something really odd. I joined something that was set up by an old South African Marine and he had set up this camp that was essentially a boot camp for basically troubled kids. Um, and initially, I'm sure she won't mind me telling uh, you this, but initially it was for my sister to go to because when she was like 16, she was like a bit of a runaway, rep, like like reprobate. And my mom and dad were like, right, we need to send my sister to this, this place. She needs to get kind of um, sorted out, quote unquote. And she saw the word like boot camp and she saw absolutely no way. So I very much kind of said a couple of years on the line, but oh, that sounds that sounds interesting. Why don't I'll, I'll do that? Um, I was, I was, as I said, I was a total goody goody two shoes, but I went because I was just quite interested. And yeah, it was it was classic. Wake up at six a.m., shave your head, exercise every morning, um, chores kind of thing. And it was a really interesting. And they they taught you how to push yourself physically and mentally. So it was yeah, it wasn't quite the getting getting pissed at full moon party in Thailand, but. Um, it was yeah. I, I came back um, a really, really physically fit individual, having done all sorts of all sorts of mad things. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but a quick note from our series sponsor, RCK Partners. If you're looking to take advantage of R and D tax credits to boost your business's cash flow, RCK Partners can help you. Simply head over to RCK dot partners or follow the link in the podcast description that's rck dot partners now back to the podcast 
great. It's really interesting to hear about it because then we fast forward to your time at Newcastle University and then you started to dip your toe into the world that you find yourself pretty much in now of kind of presenting and standing up in front of people and being a personality in front of people. What gave you, gave you that thirst or that idea apart from the rejection from the, the, ra- this, the university radio show? Was, there, yeah. was that what you wanted to do or were you just like, I'm going to give that a go and then you got rejected and then you were like, screw it, I'm going to do it anyway? I just just wanted, I was just trying everything, got to university and it was just so refreshing to meet people who weren't from the public school background. Like I, you can either decide when you get to your halls of residence to to stick around in in the group of people who you all know vaguely, your friends with, your clique. And I very much kind of, I made a conscious decision that I didn't want to do that. Um, And so I joined all the societies under the sun. Like I joined the theatre society, I joined um, the radio station, I I joined something called the 20 Minute Society, which is when they would send you a text, and in 20 minutes you had to be somewhere, I don't know, it was was really weird, and um, so I started meeting people in the theatre society and did a few plays, and then one of the girls in the the plays was like, oh, I do a radio show, do you want to come along and and, and, and be my guest on the radio shows? I was like, yeah, that sounds great, university radio, God, that sounds really, really professional. And um, I got in and I remember sitting down with the headphones on, absolutely terrified. And after like two minutes or like 20 minutes on the air, uh, I was like, how many people are listening? And she, she turned around the listening counter and there were like three. Um, and, and I knew that one of those was, was my mum. So it was, that was the first, I was like, wow, okay, that's, that's really interesting. Okay, th- this is cool. So um, I, I managed, I did manage to get a, um, uh, my own slot on the radio station, but it was on the television society um, that I didn't. That they said no, we've got enough presenters, and so that's when I did my own thing. But I was just my first kind of two years. I was just like, right, oh, that's cool. I enjoy doing that. Oh, that's radio. I can I can talk uninterrupted for for two hours. That sounds fantastic. And um, basically, it was just an opportunity for me to waffle and, and, and nobody to get in the way. Um, so I was just experiencing and trying loads of different things. And I'm so grateful to, that, I, that I did that because I would never have found what I was doing now if I hadn't have gone into the radio station. And so when I speak to people who are doing going to university for the first time, I say, just join as many societies as you can. Just join societies because you will meet new people that will form relationships that are lasting and you will experience things that you never thought you could. And university has so many great um, opportunities to do things that you can't miss, miss, miss them. It takes a lot of courage to say that to yourself where you go, I'm actually going to step away and break the norm of what I probably should be doing. Did you feel like you were kind of being courageous? You know what I mean? Like you probably didn't think at the time, but you're like, do you know, what? I actually need to stand up and do this for myself almost. No, I think I think I was so I think it was less courageous and that I was so I've been so ingrained in the I've been so in, institutionalized mm. in the boarding school way that I was just excited to do literally anything else. Um, and so, yeah, I didn't, I didn't look at it as a, like, oh, this is really scary. I looked at it as like, this is really bloody exciting. God, if anything, the opportunity rather than yeah, uh, stepping away. Absolutely. Sure. Um, and, and I just, I just thought, like, I did with people who, who yeah, they would take the, like, take the piss out of my voice, my, my, my accent, but I was like, great go ahead, please do. Um, and then my name was Bosch and rhymed with Posh. And so I had to endure a little bit of ribbing for, for being Posh. But I genuinely, 
it's uh, I know it's going to sound so um, detached from a lot of the, the audience who, who didn't grow up in this environment, but to be taken a piss out because of your because you're posh was something that was so novel and exciting for me anyway that I quite enjoyed it. I quite enjoyed just being like having all the questions like, oh, and so you really did that? So you really wore that a uniform? I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's what 100%. we wore. Um, so that was quite fun. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, absolutely. But despite that, you talk about institutionalization and going on your gap year and you go doing this kind of boot camp, which ultimately yeah. leads me to think of structure and routine, yeah. which is probably yeah. something that you subconsciously now crave. How does that work yes. then as someone who's self-employed? It, it's so difficult. It's so difficult. And, and you're right. Like, I, I think the reason I enjoyed that boot camp so much is because it was just boarding school, but just with more running. Um, and <laughs> like I got to university and, and yeah, I think I probably did crave that structure, which is again, why I joined societies. I like to know, right. You need to be at rehearsal for the play that we're doing at 6 PM every evening. Um, oh, you have, you've got your radio show at 11 AM. So I was probably subconsciously clinging on to, onto those structures. And even now it's, it's something that, yeah, I do sometimes think, Oh, just go on. Like I could easily just, pack it all in and, and get a nine to five because it would be very nice. Um, the good thing is, is that I, I, I'm not a morning person. So the idea of having to wake up at seven thirty and going to go into class, I do not miss. So I can, I can set myself my own time to wake up, but I've got employees. I've got, I've got people who um, work with me on the channel and on things that I do. And, and so they, I need to make sure that I'm not, I, I'm putting my weight and I'm, I'm being there for them and, and making sure that I'm putting through in that regard. So, I always, I always set, I always set meetings early in the morning because I know, okay, it forces me to get up. It forces me right. You've got a structure, um, and I do kind of, a, I very much give myself a ten till six work day um, because otherwise, you're right. You just kind of flow around. Is like, oh, I'll do that tomorrow. That's that's something in the future. How do you feel about then, as someone who's self-employed and as a creator, and you have to always be kind of almost switched on in terms of because you don't know when the next paycheck might come necessarily mm, and yeah. so how do you kind of like almost live your life to an extent where you go you still have to set yourself boundaries you still need to be able to switch off but at the same time you still need to be aware in case well hang on a minute that, that you know imagine if i have my camera now and i don't damn it yeah i know it, it is it is the it's the perennial issue and i actually don't know the i haven't figured it out and I think this is the biggest issue that content creators and people who, who work on the internet find because it is a, it is a, it's a hamster wheel. It's, it never, never ends. And you're only as good as your last video and you get to be known as, Oh, I only ever referenced that if someone sees on the stream that, Oh, you're that guy that did blank. And if that thing was like two years ago, I start to panic because I think, wow. Okay. So I've been working for the last two years and this individual their first mm. reference point for me is that thing I did two years ago. So, and it's a really unhealthy thing to do. Like my, my, my closest friends and family like are imploring me to get like a, a Nokia 3310 that only does calls and texts because then I can leave my work phone, which is all my social media stuff on it at home and just focus on just being present there and then. Um, and I think that's a re genuine reason why so many, like the life cycle of a creator is like five or six years because you cannot constantly be in this world where, okay, what's next, what's next, what's next? And you get these enormous highs when you have a video that's going really, really viral, which is what you've worked on, but it comes down just as quickly. And then the question is, great, what's next? Um, so 
I don't think I've, I've, I've discovered the answer to that question. Um, I, the first thing I did when I got my first paycheck from YouTube was get therapy because I knew that this is something I need to look after myself in the long term. Mm. And I am, I am the product here. So like you get your car serviced, I know that I need to constantly regularly check in. But then I found that the conversation was just the same over and over again with, with my therapist. It's all to do with very much like feelings of self-worth and yeah, yeah, attaching yeah. yourself to numbers. And it's your, your descriptor and, and your, your exactly what people, uh, yeah, you're more than, more than just the sum of your parts, basically. Um, so, yeah. No, but you almost, I know exactly what you mean. Do you, it's almost like you know the answers when you go now, but you're like, you want somebody else to tell you. Sorry, can you be that one oh, more? So it's almost, you know, it's like you almost know the answers when you go to see the therapist now. But mm. it's like, but you want somebody else to reassure you because it's comforting as a person. You want to feel and hear somebody else telling you, you know, almost like it's all, oh, oh, you know, it's going to be okay. Yeah. But it's like, it's, but it's not. <laughs> it's really funny because I joke with, uh, this is this is getting very therapy-y, but I, I joke with my therapist that he, he will say something. He will he will ask the he will ask a question that he knows gets me every single time. Um, and I'll like when he asks a question, I'll say, "Oh, for God's sake, no! Don't ask me that question." You, you do this every single week, and you're doing it purely because you want to see me cry. And stop, stop doing that, please. Um, and but it's it's funny because I know I know the answer to the question, and it's the same thing over and over again. Um, but I, I still, you can, you can, you can like learn what you need to learn on paper. But actioning it is a different, is a different thing altogether. So we talk about coping then in terms of of therapy like that. But what about when on days when let's say you do get up late and you're feeling a little bit lazy and you don't achieve much and then you start to mm. beat yourself up about it? How do you kind of keep your mentality and check yourself? Do you do anything like going for a run? or, or do it using breathing exercises or headspace no i don't and and i need to get better at that i, I just go into this self-perpetual like cycle of, of, of just kind of scrolling and on things and and i there is one thing that i do do which is read i, I really mm. enjoy the i like i watched that that's that documentary on netflix that all you know that all scared us um about kind of social media usage and the main thing i took away with that is don't put your phone in your room and so for like a long period of time, I have kept my phone out of my room and I have a book and I'll, and I'll read before I go to bed. And that was great. Like when I've got a book that I'm really into, I absolutely love that. Um, but I'm not, I'm not that good at being able to identify. Even you know, I'm good at being able to identify when I'm having a crap day and it's all been slightly self-inflicted. But I'm not very good at being able to acknowledge it so much that I do something about it. I kind of wallow. And it's not until that I've got something, it's it, it, not until I've got like a, a meeting or something that I've got to go to, do I kick my, is it going to get kicked out of? So maybe I'll have like dinner plans in the evening and then I can like, great, okay, I, I'm, I'm, I'm out of the slump. So um, I, I need to get better. I need to be, I need to be strong enough to be able to say, right, go for a run now, Max. Like, you, you know, that helps. Um, do some breathing exercises, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Now let's take it on to the kind of the more creative side of it mm. in terms of generating ideas for content. You say you've got yeah. a team, so that's great to have like the sounding board of it. And I'm sure that they, if somebody comes up with ideas, it's great to come to you and vice versa. Do you find it's one of those things where you're just kind of could be walking down the street and suddenly go epiphany and you've got this idea and then go brainstorm it? Or do you actively sit down and try and work something out? 
We do, I think, so my, my colleague Aziz and I, we do actually, we've now, it used to be, like, I'll just walk around the road and be like, wow, yeah, great, that's fantastic, that's a good idea. But the more that I've done YouTube and, and the bigger that the videos have gotten and the more people have watched them, we've, I've started to understand exactly how you can manufacture a, a, a video idea. And it, and it does come with seeing something initially. So we'll take, we'll take the roadkill video, for instance. Um, we came up with that idea when we were driving back from filming somewhere in Bristol and we saw um, some roadkill on the side of the road. And we thought, okay, roadkill, that's interesting. What can we do with roadkill? Uh, we can go collecting roadkill. And we, we go through this process where we think about contradictions. It's all about contradictions in, uh, when it comes to me. So it's like, right, roadkill, that's something that everyone understands. What is the weirdest thing or what could we do with roadkill that contradicts the idea of roadkill? Making it into something really nice, making it into a, into a delicious meal. Okay, that works. Um, who are we going to give that delicious meal to? Where's the emotional hook there? Um, okay, what about our friends, our family? We don't tell them it's roadkill. What about Michelin star chefs? Great. And so it, it then slowly takes on a form of its own. So I think that it's, it, it is a really conscious decision. It's, it's not like we I suddenly go, oh, I'm going to go give roadkill to, to Michelin star chefs. Also, a lot of the time, is it's just looking at things that have been done before and adding my own spin on it. So I had a video that, that people um, that, that did very well recently, which was I wrote Welcome to Luton right next to Gatwick Airport. Mm -hmm. And that went so viral and, and, and people really enjoyed that. But that wasn't, an, that wasn't a new idea. There was a guy who'd written Welcome to Cleveland in Milwaukee and he's, it's been up there for like 30, 40 years. And I read that that article in the paper, it popped up for some reason. I thought, let's just do our own version. So I think often with, with YouTube and in the creative world, there is this pressure that you need to sit down and come up with an idea that's going to change the world. Like no one has ever heard of this before, which is not the case. You just need to do something in with your angle just a little bit better or just with a little bit different. Um, and it's something like uh, good artists copy, great artists steal. Um, and I, I, I really do. And, and again, um, inspiration is copying with style or something like that. And I really like those ideas because it's true. You don't need to reinvent the wheel every time you come up with a new idea. You just need to take the, the, the essence of what people enjoy, the essence of the story and add your own spin on it. So it's, it is a very conscious uh, action coming up with video ideas. So what happens with those ideas then that are, you know, that are so close to being there, but don't quite make it, you know, the ones that are so close to working and you're going, there is something there. Do you just kind of hang it almost on a shelf and go, I'm just going to keep looking at it every now and then and see what happens. Yeah. Like I've got a list of ideas that I'm just not quite sure how they're going to work. Like there's one where I want to um, technically hire my friend who hates YouTube. So hiring my YouTube company. So for example, there's a great mate of mine who just like always takes the piss about what I do. And I thought it would be really funny if we, we made him a member of the company or an employee of the company without him knowing. So we got him to do little jobs for me. Like, oh, can you go collect this? Can you go collect that? And then I, I get in a position where I pay him, but he doesn't realize he's being paid. And it's, it's a fun idea. And then like revealing to him that he, the thing that he hates is he takes the piss out of all the logs. He's actually, he's actually been employed by, but, it's not. It's just not quite there. There's no emotional hook there. The stakes aren't aren't really there. So I don't think that that one will go anywhere because I don't think it's a it's a, it's a great idea. Um, 
but I'll go, I'll be, I'll keep going back to it. Maybe it's not with my friends. Maybe it's with someone, um, someone who like Lawrence Fox, who I ran against in London mayoral election, who, who didn't seem to like me all that much. Maybe it's that. Um, so yeah, there's loads of video ideas that we that are really funny titles, but we're never going to get made. So, um, a friend of mine, Zach, who's another YouTuber, told me the idea of singing Crimea River in the Crimean River. Um, really funny <laughs> idea. Great idea. But, like, you can't do it because of, you know, the annexing of Crimea. So it's um, it, it's quite tricky um, having a video that title that you know is going to be really good. So at the moment, I'm working on a video where I want to play the triangle um, with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. Um, because I thought if you, if I could get there in a tux with a little triangle with a full orchestra and just ding it once throughout in a, in a concert, that would be a really fun video. So put it on the CV. Yeah, put it on the CV. Just a professional musician, absolutely. <laughs> Experience um, and also, yeah, yeah. I love that. Now you are though in Edinburgh doing stand up. So obviously, this is completely uh, kind of the opposite of kind of video content in terms of being allowed to edit it. You've got this live audience in front of you now. What's that experience been like? Right. It's, it's so fab. I mean, I've been doing stand up for maybe like two or three years now. So it's, it's something that I've got more and more used to. And Rob Beckett, the comedian has a really good point about stand up, which is it takes ages for you to become a competent stand up comedian. But he said it's just like any other job. So let's say you started a nine to five in an office on the Monday morning. You don't really know what you're doing. But at the end of the first week on Friday, you know the structures, you know what you're doing, you know what your job role is. But you've been there for nine to five every day for five days. And so you've had time in the office. Stand up comedy is no different, but you're just doing it five minutes at a time. So it takes ages for you to become confident on stage and competent in the job and know what you're doing. And I've been lucky that I've, I've toured this show. So I've, I've, I've spent the hours on stage. I've spent you know, hundreds of hours now um, on stage, which has really helped me. And having that instant feedback, there's no hiding on, on a stage. Like when you, if you tell, if you tell a joke, it's not funny, the audience will not laugh. It is, it is genuinely that simple. Um, whereas on, on YouTube, you just see comments and, 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 and likes and view counters, which is very, again, very hard to quantify. So doing, doing a show to 50 people, can, it can a lot of the times be so much more rewarding than doing a big video that, that quote unquote goes viral, which is a really, really interesting um, dynamic is the way that we perceive uh, big numbers because we cannot quantify huge numbers. Well, it's that immediate release of, of, of kind of emotion when you get that applause, you get that laugh for a joke and you're like going, it's an immediate response as opposed yeah. to seeing it on a screen. It's slightly different, isn't it? But what about mm. kind of... I imagine over two or three years, your nerves have got better, but do you still kind of get that buzz before going up there? Yeah, absolutely. Still really nervous before I go on. And it's that first five minutes, that first five minutes, you can just kind of settle down um, and get into this. And the, and the audience are, are, are really receptive. Oh, it's, it's the best. It's the absolute best. If you're on stage and you can tell, the audience are quite hesitant, hesitant and, and quiet and you need to work that little bit harder. Um, it can be a real challenge, but then you need to be very conscious as to not to go searching for it so not to try and you need to trust the material and there's there's a, there's a, um, a teaching that i've learned about it's called the live of the apollo you're having your live of the apollo gig where which is where even if the, the gig is going terribly you have got to pretend like this is the best gig you've ever had because at live of the apollo uh, it's going on telly and they can add a lot of tracks and they can make you look good and they can you know they can they can make the audience look like they're absolutely loving life 
And so if you do that on stage, then the audience feel like they are, they're like, okay, well, this, this guy seems like, you know, what he's doing. He seems totally comfortable. He might not be getting absolutely no laughs, but that's okay. He looks like he's having a good time. So yeah, there are, there are things I've had to learn slowly. Um, and I'm still, I'm still working on it. I'm still not the best at it. So in terms of the future, then you're obviously going to always still continue to create content online and hopefully continue, uh, another show potentially in terms of the stand up uh, world. What, is there anything else that's on the horizon? Yeah, I, I think I just want to just one thing that I've learned with YouTube and with stand up is just telling stories. I think the mediums will change. People are talking now like, oh, TikTok's coming or YouTube shorts are coming and everyone's attention span is, is, is shortening and long form content isn't isn't there for people anymore. And I, I would agree with that to a certain extent. But ultimately, the only thing that matters, the only thing that people really care about is stories. Can you convey something that is funny or educational or entertaining and it's just that the, the, the timeframes in which you have to do that are shortening and shortening and shortening. So what I'm trying to do with YouTube and what I'm trying to do with stand-up is just get better at telling a story um, all the time. And I think that's a skill that's quite valuable going forward. So I don't know where I'm going to be and what I'm going to be doing in five, ten years. Maybe I'll still be on YouTube. Maybe I'll do, be doing TV. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll be completely left this entire entertainment industry altogether. But hopefully I would have kept the the value in being able to tell a good story so that's that's the that's the one thing i'm clinging on to <laughs> so my final question that i ask every guest is what does the word headstrong mean to you headstrong gosh i i i, I really i really don't know and i think often often the, i bet the answer you get quite a lot is being having the ability to to kind of understand yourself and, and being able to get through difficult patches difficult periods of your life um but I think for me, headstrong is is just this. It, it's a, it's an unwavering um, confidence, I think, in, in what you do, um, and and that's not necessarily in your job, but in 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 your relationships as well, and in the confidence in being able to know that yeah, sometimes like romantic relationships might rise and it might fall, platonic relationships might rise, might fall, but confident in that you yourself are. Um, doing the right thing and always trying and striving to be a person that you would like to meet. Um, so yeah, I think that's what Headstrong is, is trying to, to have your confidence in yourself and what you do. Um, and yeah, having the ability to, yeah, the fortitude to, to, but my, my actually, this is what it is. My dad says in life, there's always two things, humility and fortitude, humility when things are going really well and um, having the, 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 the foresight to be like, I understand that things are going really well right now and they might not in the future and fortitude when they're not and, and pushing through. So for me, it's, it's those two words for humility and fortitude. Fantastic. Max, thank you so much for, uh, for joining me on the show. I wish you the very best of luck for the rest of the, the Fringe. I hope it goes super well. Uh, and best good. of luck in the future. You too, buddy. Speak to you in a bit. And that's the end of this episode with Max Fosh. A huge thank you to Max for being so open and honest and being generous with his time to chat on Headstrong Season 8. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please do rate it and subscribe. We have loads of episodes in the back catalogue and I'd really appreciate it if you went to check them out. I will see you next week for another episode of Headstrong. 
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 